Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. All right, thank you, Wes. Thank you, uh, thank you, A.T. Uh, hey, man, we miss you too, A.T. So if you're watching, the love goes out to you. We're continuing to pray for you guys, and we miss you guys as well. If you want to help out with what the holders are doing, we have a table set up in the lobby as you leave here this morning. You can find out more about how to help out uh, with what the holders are doing with AIM down in Belize. And, uh, of course, it's a, it's a worthy, of all the things I think about that can be a worthy cause, this is one of those things at the top of the list. And so if you can get involved, please do so. All right, well, good morning. Great to see all of you here this morning. How are you guys doing today? You doing good? I think a lot for a lot of us, this is kind of the time we start coming back and getting together. As Wes was saying, we've got our kickoff Saturday, our Sunday uh, happening next Sunday, and so we're getting geared up for that because this is the time of year when we are coming back together after being away from each other so long during summer, whether it was to get out of the heat and go on a vacation or it was just because our kids were on, on vacation and so we had an opportunity to go with our kids somewhere and spend the summer somewhere else. We're all kind of coming back at this time of year. And, um, and so we've been engaged in this three-week mini-series that we started last week called Engage, uh, where we're now uh, in our second week looking forward to the kickoff Sunday, building up to the, to the kickoff Sunday for next week. You know, I was thinking about this earlier this week. If you've never been here for a kickoff Sunday, uh, I was thinking about this. Neither have I, actually. We were here, we came two years ago in August of 2019, and I think we came the week or a couple weeks after kickoff Sunday. This is something we do every year at North. But of course, we didn't do it last year because of COVID, so this will actually be my first kickoff Sunday as well. And so if you've never been here for a kickoff Sunday here at North, it is something we do every year, minus last year, of course. Um, but we get excited about it, and it's something that, that, that focuses us and galvanizes us and brings us back together after a long summer of being apart, and then focuses us really on, on kind of what we anticipate God doing over this next year. And I know it's not the beginning of the year, it's not January, but for us, this is kind of the beginning of the year. This is when our ministries all get started back up. This is when the school year starts back up. I know our kids started school already this past week. Uh, some of your kids may have started this past week. Some of you may, may maybe next week or the week after. Some people seem to be getting their last vacation in this weekend before school starts, whatever it may be. But that becomes a normal rhythm for us, of course, and it has become over the years. And of course, I use that, normal, that word normal uh, in, 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 in kind of a loose way because, of course, the word normal takes on a whole new meaning this year. And last week, as Wes got us started off in this series, he talked about mountaintop experiences. And one of the things that he profiled for us is our student ministry, in particular the student camp that our, that our kids engaged in uh, this past summer, about a month ago or so. And he was talking about that as a mountaintop experience. And the reason that Wes led us off last week, getting into this series, is because we wanted to celebrate one of the big things that we feel like God is doing here at North. We want to celebrate one of those big visible things. You heard Wes say we expected 12 kids maybe to go on this trip. We ended up with 40 kids going, filling up, having to get like a 50-person bus and filling up that bus with 50 people, including students and leaders. It was filled to the brim. We went out there and God did some amazing stuff. We heard some stories of how God, how God changed people's lives, how God met students there at that camp, and we got to celebrate that today or last week. And one of the great things about that is that that's one of those visible things that I think a lot of us, have, if we've been around recently, have sensed that God is doing here at North. That it's easy for us at times, especially during the difficult season that we've experienced over this past year, to focus on all the very hard and difficult things. And certainly those things aren't over yet. We're still in the middle of it, whether it's COVID-related or not. We are continuing to face hard and difficult things within our church family. 
But I think something like that reminds us again that God continues to move us forward even in the difficult times. That God's mission is not chained or locked down because we find ourselves in a pandemic. That God's uh, activity in our lives doesn't stop moving even though we may be less mobile. God continues to seek people and to save lives and to draw people to himself through Jesus Christ even in ways that we don't expect or always realize. And I think in a lot of ways this often happens in churches among the younger generations. We saw, we've seen it happen here at North. We saw it happen in VBS. VBS was kind of the start of this with our elementary school kids. It spilled over into student camp with our middle school and high schoolers. And I think God is doing something and moving us through this here at North. And I don't like to say this a lot all the time because I don't want to, you know, say something and then just be completely wrong about it in the end. But I do feel like, and I do sense that God is moving us. I do sense that God is doing something in, that has begun even amongst our kids and our students in moving us forward. And I think what this reminds us of is that God never leaves us in the midst of the difficulty. We've experienced difficult times. But even in the difficulty, I think, uh, you know, we're told in Scripture to expect difficult times and suffering. We're not, expect always, we're not told to always expect a comfortable and easy life in Scripture. But one thing that we can be sure of is that in the midst of the difficulty, there are two things, at least, that we can, that, that we can remember that are promises from God. For those of us who are in Christ, God will never leave us in the midst of the storm, and that evil and suffering are not permanent. They will not win in the end. They are temporary. And of course, all this reminds us of the good news that is at the core of our Christian faith, and it's that same good news that has been the solution since the very beginning. Since the very first human beings took the bite of that fruit in that, in that, from that tree in that garden, God has promised from that moment to crush sin and evil once and for all. And through it all, he's never given up on that promise. He's been faithful to it. I mean, have you ever thought this? I think this all the time. Um, why hasn't God given up on us as humanity? <laughs> he has a million reasons throughout human history to give up on us. And certainly, that list gets longer and longer, almost ex exponentially longer with each day, with the dumb things and sinful things and evil things that we do as human beings. Yet I'm reminded at the same time, fortunately, God's faithfulness to his promises does not depend on how good we are. It does not depend on whether or not we deserve it, because we certainly don't. God is faithful to his promises because he is faithful. Because it's in his nature to be faithful. 2 Timothy 2, verse 13 reminds us of that. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now, this is the spirit of what we're celebrating as we look forward to kickoff Sunday. That in the difficult, crazy year that we've all experienced and had in many ways and continue to have, that God is still faithful to us. And our response is to engage with what he is doing as we are challenged together to come back after this summer, after this time away. We're in a lot of ways, even when we were meeting throughout the summer, it was like ships passing in the night. You know, you're, you're, someone else is going on a vacation. I was just going to ask this question, by the way. I, I was curious of this. Um, did you go on a vacation this year? If you went on vacation this year, could you raise your hand? Um, how many of you went on a vacation that was either longer than you had originally planned or you went on a different vacation, two different vacations, because you wanted to make up for the COVID vacation that you missed last year, right? Some of you guys do that. A lot of you guys do that. Yeah. And so it seemed like that was going on even more so this year. But as we get back together, right, this is a time that marks out a day on our calendar. There's nothing magical about August uh, 15th, I think it is, right? nothing magical about that. It's not inscribed in scripture somewhere. 
But it is a time that we mark out to say we are going to rally together to move forward into what God has for us here at North. And I feel like in a lot of ways, it's like getting back on a treadmill after you haven't been on one for a while, right? You start it up and you hear that belt start up. The noise starts up. The hum of the machine goes. It starts beeping at you to get on there. I feel like God's already got us at like a four or five speed, which is warm up for most of you probably. That's top speed for me. I don't get above a four or a five on a treadmill. But I feel like God is taking us to more of an eight and a 10. He's preparing us for the speed of eight and 10. It's coming. And it's time for us to jump on that treadmill, and that's the way that we do it as we focus on this together. Speaking of working out, I, re- I heard earlier this week that the average weight gain uh, per person during the pandemic was 29 pounds. About 29 pounds is what the average person put on during the pandemic. And I don't know if that's an accurate number or not. If it's accurate, it makes me feel a little bit better about my weight gain. Um, but it's not hard to see why it could be easy to put that much weight on, right? I mean, we weren't doing much. We were kind of just like sitting around a lot. Gyms were shut down. So if you had a gym and it was shut down for a while, you didn't really have a place to go to work out. And maybe you got in the habit of not working out. We probably ate more by just sitting around the house all the time. Maybe we were a little bit more depressed and that adds in stress and that kind of adds more weight. And I'm not sure what the spiritual equivalent of putting on 29 pounds is. But I think for many churches, the same kind of thing has happened. We've gotten into the habit of not moving and not engaging. And when it comes to our physical health, we know that you can get in the habit of working out or you can get in the habit of not working out. And I think for the same thing kind of holds for us spiritually. We can get in the habit of, in our spiritual lives of growing spiritually, but we can also get in the habit of disengaging and not growing spiritually. So at some point, maybe over this past year or two, you may have got to a place where you kind of put your spiritual life aside for a little bit. And you, you intended it for just, just to be for a day, just for a week, just until you could get your bearings again. And before you knew it, you got out of the habit of actually investing and engaging in your spiritual life, in your walk with Jesus, and you begun a new habit. And the new habit was not engaging in your spiritual life, not being a part of church, not, uh, not, not engaging with God through his word, not praying, not worshiping. And so this is one of those times where we have an opportunity to say this is where we are going to focus on engaging back together. That's the spirit of our engaged series and our kickoff Sunday. And to do that this morning, I want to, I want to talk about as we're going forward, I want to take a step back a little bit. I want to take, take a step back into the book of Ephesians. We just finished our series in the book of Ephesians, and I want to take us to a place in the book that I feel like is one of the most important parts of Ephesians, which is saying a lot because there's a lot of important parts in Ephesians. We saw that over the summer if you were with us going through this book, how rich and deep it is. But one of those places that really always speaks to me, especially as it, as it, as it comes to discipleship and as it relates to us re-engaging with our faith, is Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 and read through verses 17 through 32, which is the end of that chapter here in a minute. But one thing I want to say in all of this is that it's important that as we look at this, if you're in a place where you're thinking to yourself, okay, I'm ready, I, 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 do, I do want to engage, I do feel like there, there is some stuff that I need to re-engage with, I've put my faith aside for a little bit, and I've kind of engaged in a bunch of other things, I've been distracted, I've been discouraged, I've been you know, depressed, whatever it has been, and, and you want to get back into this. This is a great practical way, Paul gives us practical instructions on how to re-engage with this. And so, uh, even if you aren't in that place, I want this to be a real challenge for you this morning. Uh, to, uh, to understand what real, practical Christian discipleship looks like. In other words, if you call yourself a Christian and you're saying, I want to live in following Jesus, this is what this looks like. It's a beautiful picture, but it's challenging in a lot of ways as well. 
And as you read through this, I'd, I'd like these words just to kind of wash over you as you read them. We, again, you may be real familiar with this because we went through it a month ago, but I want you, again, to, be, uh, to, to maybe read it again and allow it to, to kind of teach you or lead you in a different way maybe than it has before. And one thing that I, I'm going to talk about is really three movements that I see in here, three movements towards discipleship and engagement, engaging our faith in our everyday lives. And I want to, you know, if for nothing else, you can read through this and see if you can pick out those three movements ahead of time, okay? So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32 says this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you, may no, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, put away falsehood. Let each, of you, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, I don't know of a Christian who would read through something like this, this wonderful passage, and think to themselves, thanks, but no thanks. I don't want any piece of what's being described here. Right? We all want this to look like our lives if we are in Christ. The question, though, is how? How does this work? What does this look like, and how does it happen in our lives? Remember I said there are three movements that I see coming out of this passage here, and I want to talk about these three movements with the time that we have left. And I'm going to explain them by using three words, being rooted, being connected, and being engaged. Well, let's start with being rooted. Now, this passage starts with really what is fun foundational and fundamental to everything else that flows from it afterwards. It is this question of what we believe to be true. Where is truth? Very simply put, Paul sets up two contrasts. There are two different ways to believe. There is the way to believe as the Gentiles do, which are those who do not believe in God, those who do not value God's word, those who do not believe in the truth of Jesus, as Paul calls it here, and those who do believe in the truth of Jesus. Those who have learned Christ, in other words, those who are Christians, those who are in Christ. The result, then, is not just two contrasting types of people, but two contrasting sets of beliefs, and as it filters down, two contrasting ways of life. Walking as the Gentiles or walking as those who are in Christ. That's the contrast that's set up here. And Paul says as a result, there is either darkness or there is light of understanding. And there is either ignorance or there is having a renewed mind. There is either falsehood or there is truth as a result. And as he explains to us, if we aren't in Christ, we remain in darkness and ignorance regarding the truth of Jesus. However, for Christians, he tells us right, right there that we have a renewed mind. 
That we have an opportunity to choose between what is true and what is false in the world. It doesn't mean that we automatically live by truth all the time. It doesn't mean that we don't believe lies sometimes. It doesn't mean that we don't get lost in ignorance sometimes. It means that we have the ability to discern between what is true and what is false. And that's what he's calling us to. Discerning and rooting ourselves in what is true versus what is false. It reminds me of something like Psalm chapter 1. You may know this psalm. But it says this, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. Well, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Again, just like the Ephesians passage, right? we have a contrast that's set up here in Psalm chapter 1. There is the one who is the righteous one, who is defined as the one who delights in the law of the Lord, or delights in God's word, delights in the truth, versus the one who is uh, identified as the wicked one, the one who scoffs at God's truth. The one who does not believe and does not root himself in God's word. And the difference here is obvious, right? As the the psalmist tells us, the one who roots himself in God's word and his truth is the one who bears fruit, is the one who prospers in all that he does, is the one who in the end is declared righteous because he knows the one to whom scripture points to, Jesus Christ. Now the wicked is the man who is called the chaff. If you don't know what chaff is, it's a farming term that refers to basically all the leftovers from the crop, the stuff that doesn't bear any fruit. The simplest example of this, most obvious, might be like corn, corn husk. So the husk of the corn, the part that you don't want, is torn off, and it's either thrown away, or as it says, blows away here, or we could even say that in some ways it's even burned. And the image that we're given at the end of Psalm actually gives us that imagery of kind of judgment that comes upon the chaff, that there is no substance to it. Now look, in both of these passages here. I think it's key to realize that these, these passages turn on this question of desire. Both, both passages refer to this aspect of desire. What are the things that we desire? In Ephesians, it's presented in a negative way. The desires of those who are uh, classified as the Gentiles are those who have deceitful desires, right? They're deceived in the way that they believe, in the way that they see things, and it leads to uh, all these other things that they do. But in Psalm chapter 1, The desire of the righteous man is the one who delights in the word of God. Now, here's the thing. When it comes down to language of desire and heart, the Bible is usually referring to our motivation, more directly referring to uh, what we consider to be ultimately true and worth it. In this case, what's happening is that the psalmist is presenting to us, and even Paul in Ephesians is presenting to us, this idea that our desire, our delight is in God's word because we delight in who God is himself. That his word points to him, and as a result, we consume God's word, not just so that we can know more of the Bible, not just so that we can behave better in our lives, but actually so that we can delight in the God whom Scripture reveals, the God who has given us his word. And the more and more that we know God, the more and more we know that he is true, that he can be delighted in, and he can be trusted, which fuels an even more, uh, which fuels even more trust and faith in God's word as we go along. So that it's not God's word just so that we can know the Bible. That the truth of Jesus naturally leads us to rooting ourselves in what God says is true because our trust and our delight is in Jesus himself. 
And just like anybody who we love or appreciate, we love hearing the faithful good words from their mouths. It's been said that we live in a post-truth culture today, that we don't hold anything as truth as a culture. I think it's actually more accurate to say that we live in a culture that has largely rejected God's truth, the truth of Scripture. But in a lot of ways, we are created as beings who search for truth. And so I think in a lot of ways, we are beings who actually need truth. It's almost, impo- it's almost impossible in that way for us to get to a post-truth culture because everybody is searching for what they believe is actually true. Now, the main way that our culture has landed on truth right now is that the individual self has become the primary source of truth. I don't know if you've noticed that. But the fundamental change that has shifted is that we get less of our truth as a culture from the outside, in other words, from God, from the Bible, from community, from our families, and now the source of truth mainly comes from the inside. So things like authenticity, just kind of be who you are, be authentically who you are, and individual expression, individual expression have become what is ultimately true. So that what comes out of me becomes, and we've all heard this phrase, my truth, right? It becomes my truth. My truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. It comes from inside of me, and not only is it just a, it, it, there's, nothing, it, there's nothing wrong with authenticity per se. There's nothing wrong with expressing yourself as an individual per se, but when authenticity and expressive individualism become codified absolute truth, We have a problem there, especially when Scripture tells us that the human heart is deceitful above all things. Of course, what happens, though, is that when someone determines, when when the one who determines truth, determines truth as absolute truth, they get to functionally be God, at least in in their own world. And the problem is, is that as human beings, we were never made to be God. And so ultimately, this truth that we build for ourselves begins to crumble under the weight of having to provide what ultimately only God can provide in his truth. I think one of the reasons why, and I think the more that we live this out, the more we realize our truth doesn't lead us, or my truth doesn't lead us really where we want to go and need to go. And one of the reasons is that it'll constantly bump up against someone else's contrasting truth. I mean, what do you do when my truth and your truth aren't compatible? You have to either compromise some of your truth to accept somebody else's truth if everybody's got their own truth. You have to end that relationship, maybe, and a lot of that has happened. Or maybe you just find people who think as much like you as possible and kind of get into your own tribes and enclaves and kind of fragment from the rest of society, which has happened a lot in our culture as well. Ultimately, what begins to happen, though, is at the end, everybody who has their own truth will get to a place where they want to in, enforce their truth. So, in other words, my truth is not, truth becomes not true because of its virtuousness or because it is ultimately true, but because I have more power than you. And in the end, the one who has more power than the other person enforces their truth, and that becomes the new truth. So it's meant to fail from the beginning. Secondly, from a spiritual standpoint, though, my truth doesn't take me where I want to go because it doesn't provide what I really need in the end. Whether we realize it or not, we all need a God outside of ourselves who created us and who can save us and who can give us hope for new life and new creation. We need a sovereign God. We need a God who is all-powerful and a God who is all-knowing because we are not those things. We need a God whose truth is actually strong enough to come through in the end. The result of my truth is just what Paul describes in Ephesians 4. It's futility. We experience the futility of our own minds when my truth becomes the ultimate truth 
in our lives. And the weakness of our own truth will eventually crumble under the weight of what we really need. A God who tells us the truth and a God who brings us to himself. Again, we are all truth seekers whether we realize it or not, but we have to continually be rooted in God's truth and not just read our Bibles because it's good to do and that's what we're supposed to do, but read our Bibles as people who are coming to know God and submit to his truth so that it renews our minds. That it causes us to constantly put off the old self, which wants to live by all of these other things, and allow it to renew our minds so that, our tr- so that his truth allows us to put on the new self, which joyfully desires and celebrates the truth of God. And it starts with choosing to root ourselves in God's word to such a degree that may require you to actually uproot yourself from other areas and other things that you may be currently rooted in right now. What are you reading? What are you taking in? And among those things that you take in all the time, look, we live in a, we live in a strange world as far as, <laughs> as far as things go in a lot of ways. But one of the ways that it's super strange, especially when we look at the Bible, is that we, uh, the biblical setting, is that we've got all these different streams of information that are coming at us all the time. And it's a really difficult way to kind of move through life trying to understand what is true and what is not because there are a lot of things that will present themselves as true even as kind of Christian truth that in the end you unwrap and you realize this is nothing but deceitfulness and lies and foolishness. So how do you know the difference? It's rooting ourselves in God's truth so that we can recognize where we need to uproot ourselves from other areas. Now, um, as I'm thinking about this, you know, one of the things, we, in our backyard, we have uh, these huge, tall palm trees in our backyard at home. And one of the reasons we got the house that we got is because we really like the backyard. And one of the reasons that, I personally at least, I like the backyard is we, had these huge, we have these huge palm trees that are, like, planted all the way around our pool. Now, our house was built in, like, 1983, I think. And those trees must have been planted day one because that's how tall they are. They look like they've been there forever super tall, and one of the things I didn't know about uh, palm trees, you may know this about, uh, they're, they're Mexican palm trees, you may know this about Mexican palm trees, but um, their roots go everywhere. I don't know if you know this. So their roots go everywhere, and they have like needle-like roots that just puncture and go through anything and everything that's in their way. And so uh, even though they look great around a pool, they're not the best thing to plant around a pool, just to be honest. I'm just telling you from experience, especially, you know, 40 years down the road. And um, so what's began to happen is that some of, our, some of those roots of the palm trees have gotten into our pool and began poking through the tiles on our pool that are around kind of the top of our, of our pool there. And in three different places, the tiles were starting to be punctured by these roots that are coming through from the palm trees. And I was trying to maintain it on my own, like just cutting back the root and then, you know, pasting the tile back on. It wasn't working very well. And so I had a guy come out and look at the trees, and he said, you know what, there's only two solutions to this. He said, these, these, root, these trees have roots that just go everywhere. They're needles. They don't, they're not confined to an area. You can't really predict where they're going to go. They just go er- anywhere and everywhere. So you can tear out all the trees, which I certainly didn't want to do, or we can pull up, you know, all this area around the outside of your pool and just begin cutting back the root system of all these palm trees. So the thing is, though, is that it's going to be expensive. It's going to be a lot of work, and you're going to have to do it over and over again. They'll continue to come back, and you'll have to do it on a regular basis. I haven't told my wife this yet, but, uh, so she's probably panicking a bit on this, but I decided let's do that because I don't want these palm trees gone. I love these palm trees, right? And here's the thing is that it takes the uprooting of these things over time to make sure, and it's continual, and it's a, it's a process that has to happen on a regular basis to make sure that those roots don't go into places 
that they're not supposed to go to. They destroy my pool. I, I'm not sure that chlorine water is good or pool water is good for a palm tree, so it might even harm the health of the tree as well. And the same thing happens in our spiritual lives. It's so easy for our roots to just kind of move in all different directions. And if we're not taking account of where those things are going, they, they tend not to be contained. And they'll root themselves in all kinds of things. And so from time to time, we have to examine where is it that I've rooted myself in? And is it time to uproot myself from these areas so that I can stay rooted in the truth of God? And look, this may sound like a huge process, but the good news is that God has not left us alone in this. He has given us a church community to do this with. Which brings us to this next point where Paul focuses on being connected. I think specifically, Paul tells us to speak the truth to one another. Uh, in, in verse 15, which is two verses before this section, he tells us to speak the truth in love to one another. And look, we know that what it means to be rooted in Christ means that, that, that you know, God's Spirit speaks to us, God's Spirit leads us through God's Word, and those things are important, and those things certainly happen in individual Bible study, an individual connection with God. However, as the Spirit works, He also works through other people in the church in our lives. And He works as a community together in some ways that cannot be fully captured by just individual study or communion with God. It's a necessary part of our rootedness in Christ to be engaged and to belong to community and to be connected. If you're not meeting with others on a regular basis for worship, like something like this, or in Bible study and or in Bible study, you're missing out on a great gift that God gives you. And really one of the primary ways that God wants to root you in Christ and encourage you in your faith is through community connection to Scripture and to God's Word. And one of the dangers of this, of course, is that, that that's kind of fighting against being connected in church has quite honestly just been the way that we've done church over the past maybe couple generations in the U.S., right? And uh, us as church leaders are just as, as, as responsible for the way that things have turned out. Of course, we live in a consumer society, and so consumer culture gets into the American church as well. And in a lot of ways, we've designed church to just kind of fit each individual as they want to be here, right? In other words, we want this to be the place where you feel like you're being taken care of, that you're provided with everything that you need as a church. And look, not all of that stuff is bad. But at the same time, when you're doing that for two generations and that becomes your focus, churches and organizations in a Christian community have become polarized and individualized. And so that our experience in church at times just reinforces the idea that my spiritual life is just about me and my relationship with God. When in reality, it's about the we of church more than it is about me and my experience. And technology has not helped this. I mean, to be clear, I love technology. I'm a big technology guy, and I even love technology in church. The fact that we have podcasts and that we can stream online has been a necessity for us, so critical over this past year, because it's connected people who are not able to join us in person, and they're joining us virtually. We have people who have come through our church, their front door actually being the online service, and then they've come and they've shown up, they've become members. In one case, one even became an elder. We just, we just, uh, or we're about to ordain an elder uh, who is, who is, uh, uh, who came to us through um, this past year of streaming services. So I'm all for that. But as we've said from the beginning, when we started this thing, there is no substitute for being able to be here in person, for singing and worshiping together. And that's our goal in the end, to be together again, to be connected. And just like anything, there are you know, pros and cons to, to technology and all these different things, but I think in the end, what has happened is that the body, the connective tissue of the body of Christ has been weakened as a result. 
And God's word was always meant to be taught and learned from within community. Merely watching a worship service online or listening to a sermon, of a po- uh, listening to a podcast of a sermon of a pastor that is in a different part of the world or a different part of the country that you'll never meet, is preaching to a congregation that you'll never be a part of and never physically be a part of, that'll give you information. It may encourage you. It may even change your life in some ways, and there's a place for that. But look, the power of what happens in the church is supposed to be done from within community where you are, where you are committed to other believers in Christ in a close-knit church, a local body, where we are living life together, encouraging one another, and speaking the truth to one another, singing spiritual songs and hymns to one another, serving one another, all the things that Ephesians has told us to do. And how do you do all the one another's if you're not connected in community? If you think about it this way, even the original church in the first century received God's word as letters of that, that, would, that would become eventually the New Testament and the books of the Bible. But they received just like one letter that was written, the original handwritten letter that was written, the autograph as Paul wrote it and sent it to the church at Ephesus, for example. That was designed actually for them to have that and to circulate it among all the cities in the region around the city of Ephesus. So what that means is that at the most, maybe you had one copy, if you could handwrite a copy of that letter, maybe one copy or maybe two copies at the most at your church that was one church in a city. And so the only time you could hear God's word was actually in community and in public together usually. And look, there are a lot of reasons, I think, why God did what he did at the time of history that he did, but I think one of the reasons that he did this at the time that he did, before the printing press, before iPhones, was to show us and to help us realize that this was meant from the beginning to be understood within community. And the church is to, and it's to bring us together as the church. So while we can and certainly should study the Bible on our own, and it's great that we can reach into our pocket and pull out a phone that has 20 different Bible translations. That's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. At the same time, there is no substitute for studying the Bible together in community and being connected. So from being rooted and connected then brings us to the place of being engaged. And this place of engagement is where Paul actually calls us to move into our discipleship, our fellowship of Jesus. Back in Ephesians chapter 2, we are told in one of the most familiar verses in all the book of Ephesians, that, of course, it's by grace that we are saved. But then Paul follows up that statement by saying, to walk in the good works that God has prepared for you to walk in beforehand. And we may often focus on that good works part of it. The part I like to focus on is the walking part. Because what Paul's talking about is there is a way of life. Grace has changed us so much that now we live an entirely new life in the life that we live. And that discipleship itself, that following Jesus, is actually a new life that begins from the time that we place our faith in Jesus for the very first time until and on through eternity. And we see the word walk, or the phrase walk, show up in Ephesians 3. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been given. We see it at the beginning of the passage we just read. Don't walk as the Gentiles do, but walk in this new way of life. Walking communicates more than just doing things. It's a way of life. It's a new way of of living this life journey that we call life, walking in a new way. And, God, and so God is not trying to make discipleship difficult or mysterious in this. It's actually really simple because he wants to be with you. It's, like an invi- it's the invitation that comes through, though, as Jesus says that he calls you to be with him. The question is, how do we respond? Do we continue to walk life with him? Is this an everyday response to follow him in discipleship? You know, Christianity without following Jesus is kind of like getting married and then deciding not to live with your spouse. 
and really only meeting up with her maybe like on Sundays for a couple hours for lunch. Okay. And then maybe not even every Sunday because sometimes things get busy, you're tired, you've had a long week, there's a soccer tournament for your kids or something, and so maybe not even every Sunday. The reality of that is, of course, we would ask, if that's the way we're living in our marriage, what's the point of being married in the first place? Just to say you're married, just to have a marriage certificate, just to have the marriage, the wedding ring on your finger? We get married because we love our spouse and we want to spend the rest of our lives with him. We become Christians for much the same reason. We love Jesus and we want to be with him. And if that's not the goal of our discipleship, we need to reevaluate what it is that we are believing discipleship really is biblically. Because Christianity for the sake of religion is dead religion. Christianity for the sake of morality, if I'm just a Christian so that I can live a good life, and if living a good life makes me a Christian, is legalism, and it will not save you. Christianity for the sake of activism, I just want to change the world with my Christian faith, has no real power in the end if that's all it's about. Christianity that just saves us from sin even is incomplete. Christianity is life with Jesus or it is not biblical Christianity. John Piper puts it this way, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you've ever had on earth and with all the food you've ever liked and all the leisure activities you have ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you've ever tasted, and no human conflict or natural desires, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? The point of it all is Jesus. Jesus wants us to be with him. That's why he saves us. And that really is the true blessing of the gospel, to be brought back into relationship with the one who has created us so that he can make us new creations to live a new creation reality for eternity. And that new creation life that starts now by his spirit is the beginning of that life. It's putting off the old self and living the new life, as Paul says, because now we live a life that is completely different. In his classic book called The Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about what he calls cheap grace versus costly grace. And his point, of course, is that we are all saved by grace through Jesus Christ, but so many Christians view Jesus' grace for us as cheap because it makes no real difference in our lives. And that our salvation doesn't actually mean that we need to follow Jesus. In other words, the new life doesn't actually begin. We're just kind of saved and then we continue on living life the way that we do. Or maybe we add our faith or we add our, our, our faith to the life that we're already living rather than allowing that old life to die so that a new life can come. Of course, most would never say that they believe in cheap grace, but he, he, he gives us the difference here. He says, look, following, following Jesus should naturally lead us into discipleship. Discipleship then does cost something in the sense that it requires us to give up our lives and follow Jesus. This is costly grace. What it means is that there are two lives. There's a life I used to live. There's a life I live in Christ. One of those things need to die. They cannot both coexist. And he says this, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, Grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all of his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ. 
for whose sake a man will pluck out his own eye, which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves, the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Now, this is what our kickoff Sunday is all about. And we all need encouragement to step up and to move into something from time to time. We all, this happens to all of us in our spiritual lives. It happens to me quite often as well. We get frozen, we get comfortable, and we lose sight of what should be most important. We need at times to be challenged to realize that this life that Jesus gives us, this life in Christ, is that treasure hidden in the field. And it doesn't matter what is over here. I can sell that thing, although it may be good, because this thing is much better. It's much more valuable, infinitely more valuable. And as we encourage you over the next couple weeks to step into some of these ways of engaging, um, we realize that there's a thousand reasons why you can say, I don't really want to do that right now. I don't want to serve right now. I don't want to be a part of a community group right now. I don't want to be part of Bible study right now. I've got this, 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 and this other thing going on. There's a thousand reasons. Look, we all have a thousand reasons for not being a part of something, uh, something else, right? But in the end, we will make room for the thing we consider to be most valuable. That's just the nature of who we are. We'll let go of the other thing or sell the other thing so that we can have the thing that's most valuable. Uh, this morning, uh, I want to ask Lisa and Craig Douglas to come up. They're going to share a little bit about our community group ministry. And if you're asking yourself, how is it? All right, I'm looking for one thing that I can engage in that's going to help me be rooted, connected, and engaged in my faith. Community groups are at the top of that list here at North Bible Church. If you don't know where to start, this is your first Sunday here. Community groups are one of the first places and best places that you can get and be involved. And of course, Nick's helping us out by providing the mic. Thank you, Nick, for being <laughs> taking care of our. But uh, I want to welcome uh, Craig and Lisa. If you guys would come over here, give them a, give them a hand. They're going to talk a little bit about their experience with community groups. Thank you, Craig and Lisa, and, and they are one of our community group leaders. Uh, we have groups that are meeting all throughout the week, and so as they, as they said, the groups meet for study, they meet for encouragement, they meet to pray with one another, they meet, as you saw in one of the pictures, to serve together, and so all of those things that we've covered this morning about being rooted, connected, and engaged. Perfect place to step into if you're not in a community group already. Uh, if you would like to be a part of a community group, you can get on our app. If you haven't downloaded the app, go on our app store, you can get on our app fill out a form that will take you to our community group page. We can get you all signed up there and someone will follow up with you, get you connected to a group. Uh, you can go back to our guest services uh, uh, counter today in the lobby if you'd like to talk with somebody about that um, and we can get you signed up for a group there or at least point you in the right direction. And then, or you can go on our website. So those are three different ways you can get involved. We, we really want to make this available to you. We have community groups. We have men's and women's Bible study. Craig talked about the men's Bible study. You're going to hear more about these things as, as, uh, as this week goes on and we get into next week. We're going to profile some more opportunities for us to serve in our children's ministry. But here's the thing. In all of this, all that we are presenting to you is not just so that we can do things here at church that keep us occupied and busy. But it's so that we believe, it's because we believe that this is a part of what it means to follow Jesus, that this is a part of our discipleship. And our staff, as we uh, run these ministries and put these ministries together and ask you to serve and be a part of them, we're asking you to step in and engage with your, your faith and your, your fellowship of Jesus. And we believe it's, it's not just uh, to, you know, keep us busy, but it's, it's to actually encourage you to grow spiritually in your walk with Jesus, in all of these ways, whether it's in a community group, whether it's in a Bible study, whether it's serving in one of our ministries, these are all ways we've been called to engage in our faith. And so we want to encourage you uh, as we get uh, into next week, um, be thinking about this, be praying expectantly this week 
about getting involved next week. Again, next Sunday, there's no magic, it's no, it's, it's no magic uh, date, you know, on August 15th, but it is a place we put on the calendar where we say we're committing together as a community to make this a rallying point for us to change and to engage if that's where we need to be and maybe engage differently than we have in the past. So I'm going to ask the band to join us as we uh, continue worship and we close out. I want to pray for us as we close. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness towards us. And we know that in the end, although these things may require us to make adjustments in our lives, to engage with you, Lord, to, uh, to, to, to be involved in a community group, to be involved in community, to be connected, to root ourselves, to engage our faith, all these different things that we've talked about here this morning. Now, Lord, we know you, you call us to these things for our good and for your glory. And um, I pray that before we do anything, we'd be able to trust in that to know that as difficult as it may be at times to make changes and to uproot things in our lives, uh, to sell off something so that we can buy the greater thing or receive the greater thing, uh, Lord, that you can be trusted in all of this. And uh, we may not know what it looks like. Uh, the idea of a community group might, or a small group might be intimidating to us, but Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the benefit in it all. We have a church here who loves one another, who loves one another well and loves Jesus. And I'm thankful for that. And I pray that as you, as you lead us forward, that the more and more people who engage with our church as they come to visit over the next few weeks would see that and would sense that, Lord, you are really are working and moving in this place because you're moving in the lives of people here. And uh, as we talked about earlier, as difficult and as dark as it may seem, that doesn't inhibit you from doing what you always do. You bring goodness you bring salvation. Lord, you bring life to death. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. Real quick, as we close this morning, uh, Rick and Leanne Custer are our prayer uh, partners today. So if you, need some, if you need someone to pray with, you can head on over here to the right-hand side of me on the, off the stage over here. Or if there are other areas of prayer that you would like us to be praying for, we have prayer cards that are back at the table as you leave this morning. If you want to fill out one of those cards and drop it in the offering stand, we'll make sure it gets to the right place. We pray over those as a staff, as an elder team, and as a prayer team. And so we want to join with you in all the requests that you have, all the prayer needs and burdens that you have in your life, whether it's for you, a family member, co-worker, whatever it may be. Thank you all for being here. We look forward to kickoff Sunday next week. Don't forget to wear your jerseys and come hungry. We're going to feed you after a second service. So be here next week and join us Friday night for the really fun thing. Have a great week. Thanks, guys. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.